Come on down, look around, take in some sights, enjoy the sounds, be a part of the arts, the artist's hand gallery. We're here this afternoon during the West Sylvania Jazz and Blues Festival. It's going on right outside our door to talk to one of our premier photographers. His name is Brandon Hurt, and he has been with the gallery for about five years. He is uh, a native of Blair County, went to the Art Institute of Colorado, which is where he began working seriously with photography. He currently resides in Ebensburg, which is just up the road in Cambria County. He is married into the very famous Valewood Dairy Farm, some of the best ice cream around, I can tell you. He's been a photographer for about 20 years, and he does very well here at the gallery. If you ever come in and you see one of his photographs, you might also find a version of it in card form. So, Brandon, what got you interested in photography? Lots of things. Uh, <laughs> I think what really got me interested was way back when I first moved to Colorado, I had a camera, just a junky little thing, and I was seeing all these cool scenes that I've never seen before, and I was like, I want to take pictures of this, I want to take pictures of that. I was lucky enough to take a black and white darkroom class in high school, so I had a little introduction. But that's, that's cool that you, in high school, you actually worked with film. And you actually worked with chemicals, and you actually worked in a dark room. So, well, if you've been a photographer for 20 years, that is sort of pre-the digital age. Yeah, I was lucky. I think everybody like my age is lucky enough to experience film and know how smelly those chemicals are. I got lucky enough. I worked in a photo lab for a year with film. <laughs> yeah, when I was at Art Institute, we had one digital camera to rent out between all of us. Oh, wow. 50, 70 of us could rent out one digital camera. Oh, no. And the rest of us had to shoot film, which was a great learning experience shooting with slide film. You have to knock your exposure just right or you're losing everything. Exactly. Unlike now, which digital is great because you can, every little click doesn't cost money anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I came up, I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, and so I came up in film as well. And it drove me crazy when I would take a shot that I thought was incredible and then get the picture and realize there was electric wires running through it. And that was just like, oh my gosh, or the focus was, it was out of focus, or the depth of field wasn't there. So talk to me about what you like to take pictures of. I'm one of those people that take pictures of a lot of things. <laughs> I, you know, I really like being outside in nature. I really like long exposure, star photos, Milky Ways. I really enjoy that stuff. Twilight, also black and white, industrial stuff. It's something about it. I think it helps that I started off learning shooting in black and white. <laughs> I didn't have, you know, when you have that little film in there, you have a choice of black and white or color so absolutely well when you're working with your digital camera do you put it on black and white so what you see is is black and white as if you were shooting on an old film camera no i did it one time but now i think i've trained myself enough to know oh this scene would look really good black and white it, when you're looking at something it's about value black and white is you know it's contrast light areas medium dark and the fact that you can see it in your head is really pretty astonishing. Well, it's nice because you're looking for the contrast and you're not getting sidetracked by color. If you were going to teach photography, what would you teach? How would you teach that? 
I think the first thing is you're looking at compositions and then you add in the color. I mean, there's always those times when you're like, oh my gosh, whatever it might be, sunrise, sunset, color's amazing. But if you don't have a good composition, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Well, you know, let's face it. Images are ubiquitous today. Everybody's got a cell phone. People are taking pictures every five minutes. What makes what you do different? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious on social media. If I post a black and white photo, it won't get as much attention as color photos, but the people that respond to the black and white photos, I'm very respectful because they're good photographers. They're people that I've looked up to, you know, people in my photo club that have been shooting a lot longer than I have. I always find that interesting to see who likes what, but I, you know, I'm always attracted to black and white. I'm always, I really like long exposures, ocean, the waterways, street lights. I know when I think about some of the work that you've had here in the gallery, and the one that went to Norway was black and white. It was the train piece, which was really quite stunning. But like some of the stuff, for example, that you brought back from Iceland was just the, the ice on the beach. Talk a little bit about like taking those pictures because composition, yes. Um, color, yes. But they were they were dramatic. I mean, they caught your attention. That's the beauty of Iceland. <laughs> Sunset lasts so long. I mean, we were there in February. It was just amazing. It was pretty much a photo trip. So I had every spot located where I wanted to be for sunrise, sunset, and in between. And uh, Diamond Beach is where those were taken. It's kind of become a very popular photography spot. But it was a birthday trip for me. So it was like, I want to go to Diamond Beach for my birthday. It's so cool because you're against the ocean there's a huge glacier behind you and when we got there we just kind of hung out and went to there's a big bay full of all these little glaciers floating around and then the little river drains out to the ocean and then it brings all these glaciers which can be size of a car to size of basketball back in and it's just like there's a north side and south side it's just scattered full of them i mean it was freezing cold but i was i mean no cooler than here in february but uh it was the sunset lasted i swear for like an hour it was so cool just catching you know the colors in the background the sun setting trying to get the you know the waves coming in i was trying to shoot it was like a 30 second exposure so to get worse i did five second 15 a bunch of different ones try to capture the water coming up against the ice have those lines coming in and out and then the waves would crash in and then you know you're taking a picture of this one and goes back out to sea so then you have to Start all over, find another one. <laughs> so it was one of those, uh, when you found something, you had to get ready and go. It was fun. Now, what kind of camera do you work with generally? I have a Nikon 780 right now. Okay. And and so what does it do? Like, I mean, is it totally manual? So you're setting your f-stop, you're setting your aperture? Depends on the situation. I'll set everything manual except one thing, depending on what I'm shooting. When I was at Diamond Beach, the main most important thing I wanted full control of was shutter speed. I wasn't too worried about aperture and you know, as long as the uh, film speed didn't get up too high. I wasn't too worried. It was more of me capturing the waves coming in and creating those lines around the little glaciers there. I'm kind of lucky I have a filter set 
neutral density filter, which was the key, allows me to go for that 20 second, 15 seconds when the sun's still out. And it has a like a rose tint to it, so okay. it adds a little bit to the sunset. If I shoot during midday, colors look awful, but at sunset, it really picks. Yeah, it, really it pops. It, it just makes that little pop. The one that I'm that I'm thinking about is it was just um, it was just that it was a, one of those hunks of ice, and it was rose colored against a deep blue background, and it literally does look like a diamond. Like it's just. And it, that was a beautiful photograph. And it's funny is we, so we were there for a week and I could have spent every day there, but uh, so we were there for sunset on my birthday and then we went up north a little bit and came back and it was this full blown rainstorm. It was like so miserable. <laughs> it was just awful because we planned to stay, to stay and hang out. And, uh, no pictures in the rain. Well, there were, I took still took pictures, but, you know, you get soaked and then your lens gets soaked and you sure. get water all over the lens. And sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what is the longest exposure you've ever done? Like, is it at a nighttime? Like, when, like you said, you like to shoot galaxies. I've done a couple star trails where I just let the camera go a little bit over two hours long until the battery dies. Oh, my gosh. So it was in a November night, and it was a little cold, so I think it killed the battery. Yeah. I could get I could get an extension, you know, have three batteries on, but right. I think two hours is usually good to get the stars spinning around the North Star. Okay. And, of course, with the digital cameras now take 30 seconds stops 30 seconds stops 30 seconds stop uh, it helps not with the old film one you could just let it go set the shutter release and you don't have to worry about the camera getting too hot inside right. cameras are getting better so hopefully soon again we'll press you know however long two hours and let it go but yeah but usually even just 30 seconds you can capture the milky way especially when you're outside of town especially if you're out in yellow creek prince galitzin where it's good and dark you don't have a lot of 30 seconds you can get a really good shot of the Milky Way. Have you ever gone, there's a place in Pennsylvania where they do the, the where it's a... Cherry Springs. Yes. Have you ever been there? Yes. Okay. And you've taken some pictures? Yes. It's amazing. Okay. It's super cool. I want to go back again when uh, there's no moon, but it is, it's pretty, it's actually really cool. You have a big parking lot and a big field you can go in and just sit and watch the stars. And then they have the little red film you can put over your flashlight or your headlight so you know when you're looking around you don't blind other people right so they don't lose their their eyesight for you know when you're it takes i think i heard 20 30 minutes for your eyes to adjust when you're in the dark for, to see as much as you can with your eyes but if you get your, your phone out or you get flashed with a flashlight it, ru- you know, it ruins poofles. that yeah yeah it ruins it definitely but but yeah i'm one of those people that have a, a headlamp with the the red setting on it now so definitely i love shooting nighttime and stars haven't done it lately but <laughs> hopefully I, that was my goal for this weekend uh, I don't not this really, weekend I don't think yeah maybe Monday night but yeah, it's pretty cloudy it's a waterfall weekend for photography ah okay <laughs> well actually yeah think about it you know um, what is that the buttermilk falls should really be going right I went there a month ago it was really cool okay. every year a place gets neater and neater they keep adding on to it yeah I remember when I first went there like 10 years ago I walked down the side and ended up on my butt and slid down the whole way to the water. <laughs> it was fun. Now they have the walkways. Absolutely. So we know that, that your trip to Iceland obviously was a very special trip and, and would probably rank up there as one of your favorite places. But when you're just hanging out here in Western PA, what's your favorite place to go or your favorite area? Depends. Actually, it depends on the weather. <laughs> That's... <laughs> 
how I kind of go. Wait, if it's like today, rainy day, I want to go to Ohio Power Ricketts Glen. Why? Waterfalls. Oh, of course. Because the waterfalls with the cloudy weather, it, the light is all even. So when you're shooting, you don't get these little bright spots all through oh, coming yes, through the trees. Right. Of course, if you wake up early or go at sunset, you don't have that problem. But, <laughs> you know, if it's raining, one of those two spots or I like Prince Glitzen a lot. I think, you know, not too far from us. Sure. Especially at nighttime. It's so, you can see so many stars. My grandfather was a park ranger there too. So, you know, I have that little bit of, uh, you know. It's kind of a special place. Yeah. So, sure. You know, every time you go there, you're like, you know, have a little bit of him with me, you know, yeah. hanging out. So. Now, do you ever do um, like animals? I don't think I've ever seen like outside the farm animals. If they're there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I will. You know, I definitely have a long lens, and if they're around, I will. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know if I have the patience as some people do. I've gotten some, you know, elk and some deer and okay. here and there, but. All right. And, you know, I never thought one of my most popular photos would be a cow, so. Right. Oh, everybody loves that cow picture. There's no doubt about it. So let's talk a little bit about how you present your photography, because you have a very specific way of, of having your stuff printed, and it seems to be, it's very popular here. People seem to like that metallic. How did you get into doing that? Just by luck, I think. There for a while, when I first, I would just mat and frame everything, and I ended up breaking so much glass that it was like, I have to do something else. Were you doing your own framing? Yes and no, sometimes. Okay. Not too much. I make a frame here and there now, but sure. then canvas kind of became popular. So I was printing some stuff on canvas, you know, some of the farm scenes, the cow stuff really is popular with. But right. yeah, then they, they started promoting in the labs, photo labs had the metal prints. And it's like, oh, I'm going to try one out because they kept saying, well, bring out the shot, you know. So I was like, OK, I had a coupon. I forget which lab. And, and I got it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. You know, it was one of those moments where I Oh, I like this. It pops. There is no hiding anything on them. (laughs) If there's something out of focus, you can see it. But it just adds that vibrance. Colors just pop with it. I don't have to worry about breaking glass. And And they're light, you know, surprisingly. Of course, if you get something ginormous, but still for the size, it's so light. Yeah, and easy to hang. I mean, take it right off the wall here and take it home and right on the wall. And The other thing I think a lot of people like is they don't have to worry about getting framed. I don't know if that scares some people away buying matted work or not, but sure, some people like the option to pick what color frame they have to match what room. But I think some people, it's some things when you spend, you know, a good chunk of money, you want it to be ready to go. You you don't want to have to go to the frame store. They're real popular and just ordered some today. So (laughs) I I meant to bring some new ones. Didn't have them ready in time. I'm sure we'll get you back here again. We'll get you back here again. So I'm going to turn you over now to Maddie, who has a little game she wants to play with you because she knows that you like to travel. Yeah, I've and, heard. Uh, I've heard about this game. I've listened. And I, I came prepared. Good job. Good job. And I appreciate you coming in. And um, folks, if you haven't seen Brandon's work, um, you really do need to come in and see it. I have several favorites in, in the gallery right now. And he's right about the printing on the aluminum. They are just brilliant images. His sense of composition is excellent. And we're just very pleased to have him on board. And just before I go, I just want to make sure that you know again that we are recording this during the Westlevania Jazz and Blues Festival and so you might have heard some folks in the background people are interested music people are coming in and plinking on the piano a little bit and and 
and visiting. And it's a cold one out there today. This is not the, the um, most ideal weather for a concert. And so folks are coming in trying to find some warmth and hot coffee is doing it for them. So I'm going to hand you over to Maddie now and um, thank you for listening. Hello. Hello, hello. So we know you love to travel, so this game is called Oddly Named North American Towns. Which story is true? Uh Uh-oh. So I'm going to give you three stories for a town's name, and your goal is to tell me which one is truthful. Ready? Yeah. So, this first town is Bad Axe, Michigan. It is originally the land of the Algonquin-speaking Sac and Fox Nation, the Mississauga Nation, and the Anishabe Nation. Why it's called now Bad Axe, Michigan. Number one, the town of Bad Axe was named in 1861 by two settlers who discovered an old axe in the forest. Okay. Number two, the town of Bad Axe was named after the maid of Lizzie Borden's, Bridget Sullivan, moved to this town. While staying there, her story of the brutal murder changed multiple times. It was such on everyone's mind, they named the town Bad Axe, forcing Bridget Sullivan to move to Montana. Ooh, interesting. And number three, the the town of Bad Axe was named after a company promising to make the best axes in the world exploited the town. Oh my, I have <laughs> no idea. I've never been to Michigan, Me but I either. want to. I need to phone a friend. I need to phone, phone my friend Billy in Flint. Uh, I'm going to say B just because it sounds like the craziest story of it all. It is actually number one. It was oh, named after two settlers who discovered an old axe in the I forest. That. And I was thinking like, oh, the second one's such a crazy story. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in Michigan is shaking their head against us. All right. Ready for the next one? Yeah. The next one is Flin Flon, Manitoba, in Canada. You're picking all the places I've never been. <laughs> I apologize. I wasn't sure where you've been and where you haven't. So this is originally Cree and Métis nation land. Number one. This mining town was named after a flan shop named Flin Flon, specialized in flan, the caramel custard. Workers would go there after work, so it became a place to call home. Very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Number two. This mining town was named after a prospector named his mine, Flin Flon, after two characters from a book he found in the woods. Interesting. And number three, this mining town was named after Flin Flon, the first industrial flip-flop factory. Oh, boy. <laughs> I want to go... I'm going to go with the last one. It is actually number two. They named it after two characters from a book they found in the woods. I was thinking that was too crazy of a story to find right. a book in the woods that you could still read that wouldn't be destroyed by rain or snow. or Right? Yeah. All right, the next one is uh, Hot Coffee, Mississippi. Oh, boy. Wow. You're getting all the M states. Oh, you know, I guess I am. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> this is Hot Coffee, Mississippi, originally on Nachi and Choctaw land. So, 
Number one, the town of hot coffee was named after a local innkeeper kept offering hot coffee and ginger cakes. The store had a sign that said hot coffee, which the residents eventually decided to mean for the whole town. Number two, the town of hot coffee was named after the famous coffee flood covering the town in coffee. Now every there, everyone there only drinks tea. And number three, the town of hot coffee was named just because the mayor in 1901 loved the caffeinated beverage so much. I thought this would be easier. I did not mean to make it this hard, but I realize I do make hard questions. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Good thing the points don't matter. <laughs> this is interesting because these are three places I've never been. Oh, wow. I have no idea. I'm going to go with B. The famous coffee flood? Yeah. Unfortunately, that one is not correct, but I based it off of famous syrup flood. I watched a whole video about it. <laughs> um, the correct answer was the town of hot coffee was named after a local innkeeper kept offering hot coffee uh, and ginger cakes to the residents. I was thinking that would be too recent. Right? The story that's what I was thinking. I was like, that's too recent. I've gone with C. I don't know. <laughs> so if you can't hear, Sandy just said she would have gone with C, that it was just because the mayor liked coffee. But it is actually just because a local innkeeper had a sign that said hot coffee. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I lived in Colorado, actually the photo lab I worked at, our manager... She said to me, so I was like 20, 21 at the time. She says, you sound exactly like Jimmy Stewart. And I had no idea. I'm like, who's Jimmy Stewart? And she's like, oh, you know, in the movie, you know, that famous movie about it for a second. I was like, wait, I think he's from Indiana, which was like within an hour of where I grew up. So I, I checked it out on the computer. I was like, I was right. That's crazy. You know, there are a lot of people in Indiana that kind of sound like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I hope. I sound like Jimmy Stewart right now. Regain my crazy accent from this area <laughs> that I lost when I lived in Colorado. Yeah, I feel like whenever you live a different place, just subconsciously, your inflections slightly change. Oh, yeah, but still people will note. One time I worked at this t-shirt shop and somebody came in and they were like, oh, you must be from Pittsburgh. I'm like, do you know that? And I was like, what did I say? They're like, you said a couple of words that only people from that area say. I'm like, oh, okay. And it was just funny because at that point, it was like probably seven years or so. Got you off guard. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Is your family from this area, too? Yeah. yeah. Okay. My family's all from Altoona area. Like many people had to get out after high school to explore the world. So I ended up in Colorado. I was lucky enough to have uncle and cousins that live there. So it was a lot easier than just going by myself. So. But I'm happy I did it. It was a good experience, cool experience. Yeah, I do feel like going a bunch of new places and discovering things is an important thing about life. Yes, it teaches you. I feel like there's so much education in travel. When you leave anywhere, just going anywhere that's not what you're used to is awesome. It's fun to go somewhere where you do not know the language and you can still get around. You just learn. I think it's important for all of us to get out of western central Pennsylvania land, <laughs> but actually go explore more than what everyone else is doing. Like where other people might do things differently. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Opens your eyes. I think that's part of the fun of travel. I guess I've been blessed to be able to have those travels to meet so many people. It's, it's so cool. I think I got lucky too is when I moved back is when 
I guess MySpace was going on then, but Facebook really was getting popular and all that. So like, I'm still in touch with all those people. Everybody that I was roommates with, like funny how we all just like spread out. So you said you really enjoyed Iceland. Where else have you really enjoyed going? Ooh, lots of places. I especially, I liked Yosemite and Mammoth area. That was cool. Oregon, I, so cool area too. I spent a couple summers there and live in the mountains and be two hours from the beach was so awesome. Ah, geez, so many, you know, around Jackson Hole is really cool. Lists keep going. Uh, Vancouver, BC was awesome. Rocky Mountain National Parks, one of my favorites. I spent a lot of time there when I was in Colorado. There's, even here, there's so many cool spots. I just remember like growing up, people would be like, I'm so bored, there's nothing to do. And then I moved back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wanna go here, I wanna go there. Like, my list is like crazy long. I wanna go to Acadia, I still have it. You know, it's gone on 10 years since I've been back and I still haven't made it up to Maine. And I have a friend that lives on, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I have some friends. Boston, Virginia Beach, we'll go there all the time. I moved back, and then <laughs> when I first moved back within a year, I visited all of them, and now it's getting too long. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it took my parents a few years before visiting Falling Water and a few other very famous nearby places, just because when you live somewhere, you don't always think about acting as a tourist in the place where you live. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's like falling waters and like Ohio Palace right there. It's so cool down there. From the rural highlands down to Canaan Valley in West Virginia. So many photo trips, so many little dots on my Google Maps of places to take photos. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of, I think, being around here. It's so green and we get to four seasons and now we're, now we're on waterfall season slash Milky Way season. The next section that I have for you is our poetry section, which is based off of Lit Night at the Artist's Hands since we were unable to do it uh, during the pandemic. So I have a few poems for you this month. They're all by the infamous Jeffrey. All right, so this one is pertinent to our conversations. The Meaning of the Outdoors by Jeffrey. What does it mean to be outdoors? Is it a sense of self-abandonment, letting go of yourself and being one with nature, forgetting what's on TV? Does it really matter what's on TV? When you walk up a tree-lined street, you're uniting with yourself, a sort of personal renewal. You are partnering with the unfettered ambiance of the outdoors in a personal way. Society is often impersonalized these days with fast food drive through restaurants, iPhones, mega malls, buying cars. That oneness with nature, whether in the woods or your neighborhood walk, unites you with yourself. Nice. <laughs> this next one is Experiencing Nature by Jeffrey. You can experience nature, whether on a walk through your neighborhood or a walk through the woods. How cool is that? Sometimes it's actually the little things that are special, such as a dandelion or even weeds. We often experience nature's little treats before we enter the woods. 
Often miniaturized nature experiences happen in our own neighborhood. The meaning of the outdoors is that you're coming out from the indoors to experience the outdoors, a sort of stepping out into another dimension. You are abandoning the experiences of TV, stereo, telephone, and opening up to the experiences of nature. The nature experiences are a combination of walking, looking, being one with the trees, grass, and flowers. Those are so cool. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, there's a slow photography movement going on. It's like somewhat a movement, but it's kind of like when you're taking photos, explore it, like smell the air, like take a minute, see what you're taking a photo of. And I think sometimes we get so rushed. It's like rush, 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 but we're not like when you like sit there and take a minute, you start seeing compositions, you start seeing lines and colors and photographers are not photographers with the pandemic. We're like, okay, let's go somewhere local. And I think a lot of people notice like, oh my gosh, there's so many cool things around. Hopefully people will learn to respect all of the nature and pick up after themselves. And, yeah, I, yeah, I know it's like a hot topic, especially, you know, friends with so many different photographers around the country and uh, how some places are getting trash so bad. It's like, oh, and just pick up after yourself, you know, leave no trace. So I think especially it's hard with Instagram now. You're like, oh, I'm at this location. It's so cool. But if you don't share that location, then it doesn't get trashed so bad. So that's, you know, it's double-edged sword these days. We'll find these cool places and enjoy the outdoors, love the outdoors, but we don't want to love them to death. So Yeah. I feel bad because I don't mind letting people know, like, oh, it's down the street right there. And it's like, well, if I share this location... Is it going to lead a couple other people I know to take pictures of it and then a couple of their people and then it's trash. It's like, I don't want to think badly of people, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Going on walks or spending time in nature really helps personal mental health, which is a huge part of what people have been talking about to get through the pandemic. And so just being able to take care of that just like how like through the pandemic taking care of not only your own mental health but helping other people as well by having them have the same experience is super important yeah definitely important how do we how do we as photographers society not trash you know around here we're lucky we get so much rain so things grow but some places it's so delicate i remember i even got yelled at once 10 years ago in utah <laughs> i stepped off trail and the guy's like he's like you know what you did i was like no i'm not trying to be, sound like your dad but stay on the trail because these plants it takes them so many years to regrow he says be careful like, i like nature too i wasn't trying to kill it you know <laughs> and i was like i'm just trying to get a picture right here he says i know we're the only ones here at sunrise he's like obviously we're in the same mentality you you do what you can with the information you have yeah i have one more poem tree and the radio by jeffrey i saw this tree and was very moved by it it is so picturesque standing there in the middle of weeds and daisies i felt all tingly with excitement looking at it plus the pretty flowers surrounding it And someone left a radio by the tree. Did they forget it? Or did they leave it to make the tree happy? (laughs) That goes with uh, some of our uh, questions and answers. My question is, was the radio on? (laughs) (laughs) How big was the radio? What 
music does the tree like? Yeah. That's the end of the poetry for today. Thank you, Jeffrey, for submitting. If you would like to submit poetry to this podcast, please email us at contact at theartistshandgallery.com or leave the poem with us at the gallery in person. Our current show is Stealing the Show, a metal show featuring work by ICTC students and local artist Ray Hirsch. Find this new work online or in person through June 19th. We have a new book with Hilary Hawk for her new book, From Ashes to Song. Inspired by true events around local coal mining history, Hawk tells the story of unconventional love, hope, and the extraordinary gifts brought to America in the 20th century wave of immigration. We have a second book signing on June 26th for Leonard LaPlaca's new book, Unlocking Life's Myths and Choosing to Be Free. LaPlaca talks about the metaphorical nuggets of gold he has collected through life. And our next art show is by the Local Art Association, which starts on June 22nd. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. If you're listening to our podcasts, follow, subscribe, do all the things. (laughs) All right. The last episode automatically came up on my Apple thing. Oh, cool. Excellent. That's great.